Hello and welcome to Tranquil Awakenings with me, Debbie Ison. On today's episode, I'm going to be chatting with Gaz Creswell, the Life Improvement Coach. We're going to be discussing his military background, how he overcame depression and got to know himself, and through that journey, how he's become a life coach. We'll also be looking at elements such as our identity and how that can have an impact on our day-to-day life. So welcome, Gaz. It's great to talk to you today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Now, the first thing I want to mention before we even get going with what you do is we need to talk about your daughter. She's done something amazing recently. <laughs> she really has, bless her, to be fair. So um, we, it kind of came out of the blue, to be honest. We were sat down. We were just watching telly as a family, as you do. And she turned around. Um, and for, in fact, to be honest, I don't think I was in the room. I think it was just my missus and my daughter, my mm-hmm. wife, Hannah. Um, and Maisie turned around and said, oh, I'd really like to um, cut my hair for the poorly children so that Aww. they can have my hair and you know make wigs out of and stuff like that. So my wife was like, well, are you sure you want to do that? You know, we don't want to put any pressure on you and, and, and things like that. So she just wanted to sort of make sure. <clears throat> and we also did things like, um, you know, when she said, yeah, I want to do that. So we took her to, like, to a mirror and we'd fold her hair up and say, well, this is what it could look like. And she was like, oh, I love it. Let's do it this weekend. And we're like, well, <laughs> give us a chance. We can't quite do it this weekend. But anyway, we got her booked in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was really nice, actually, because the, um, the salon, I think it was over in Sleaford, that actually did it for her. Um, gave her like a mini treatment as well. So they gave her like washed her hair and stuff like that and made it feel really special because of the occasion. Mm-hmm. Then obviously cut her hair and things and, and gave her hair to go to go home in. But um, I mean, not only that, she now got the hair to send off. She's also raised over £700 to, um, I think it's my princess trust or my little princess trust. So that's absolutely How fantastic. How lovely. Yeah. And what an amazing thing for her to be such a kind and caring child. I know, at six what? years old. Wow, that's amazing. But that's going to shape her identity going forward, who she is in the world and what sort of person she is and what a gift that she can give to others and know that she's done that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that's going to be important because she's got stuff out to look back on. You know, it, it kind of, you know, through, through maybe where she's got times where, you know, the world seems like not a nice place. It's like, well, actually, you know what? One person can make a difference. You know, look what I did at just six years old, you know. So if I can keep doing this now from six years old, you know, imagine the, the person she can be by the time she hits her 20s and you know, stuff like that. So That's amazing. Yeah, she made it into the paper as well with it as well, which is good. <laughs> I thought I'd, I'd, I'd ring them up and let them know, see if they wanted like a, a heart-lifting, you know, a, a warming yeah. story. And yeah, they were happy to so she got into the, the Newark Advertiser, which is our Aww. local. So that was good. And she um, today she took it the paper to school for a show and tell. Well, that's great as well, because what an inspiration, because she's getting out there and showing other people, look what you can do. One person can make a difference. Exactly. And I think that's going to be really inspiring for her peers. And also, like you say, to show that, look, one person can make a change. And if we could all focus on doing that, wow, we could transform the world very, very quickly. Definitely. I mean, it's it's good as well, because she, so I'm involved in the Royal Air Force Association. Oh, right. The Newark and District Branch. And she normally comes with me on a Saturday as well and mm-hmm. speaks to, you know, the, the members and stuff that are there. So it was nice to see their reaction to things as well. So, you know, and, and I had someone come up to me and say, oh, was that, was that your daughter in the paper? You know, and then it's like, you know, beaming, proud dad moment. Like, yeah, yes, it oh. was sort of thing. So it was nice to see how far it was going, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at first, normally you just think, you know, because at first we actually initially tried to raise £250. Okay. And we thought, well, we might scrape that. And then to see it snowball into over 700 pounds and people then be made aware of it you know it was 
That's incredible, it isn't it? Great, and it yeah. shows just one small gesture or act can have such a colossal impact on so many different people yeah. and create so many positives. Definitely. So you said in that conversation now you are part of an organisation yes. and she comes with you. What's that about? Sorry, yes, yeah, so the Royal Air Force <laughs> Association. Um, essentially, it's there to support the RAF family, both serving and ex-serving members of the Royal Air Force. All right. Um, and I started getting involved with that because it actually turned out the club itself mm. um, were actually going to be shutting that down and handing it over to another charity. All right. Sounds bad, but there's, there's good to it, and I'll explain that okay. in a minute. Um, but I thought, you know, like most people, when I, when you hear about, you know, the place is shutting down, I thought, oh, my God, what can I do to get involved and help? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went down there being a, a coach, and I thought I could try and help that way. Um, and a long story short, I'm actually now the chairman <laughs> of the Newark and District Council. Um, sorry, not council, Newark and District Branch. Um, so, And I chaired my first meeting um, last night right. as well, and that went really well. And it was just great as well to see that community of people where you're all on the same page where you're mm-hmm. all kind of go you know every now and again so let's say i mean conversation don't get heated don't get me wrong but naturally you're going to have disagreements yes. with how we should move forward with things mm-hmm. but then it's almost like if we kind of chunk up you kind of think well what are we here to do well what's the what's the main goal here and when mm-hmm. you realize it's to support the RAF family all of a sudden it's like yeah so are we doing the you know this the best way kind of thing and to see a whole group of people wanting to do that putting in their own time that because you know none of us get paid to do it mm-hmm. you know putting in their own time and effort to help these people i think that's just truly uh, amazing so i was able to to put forward you know a few suggestions they got listened to and got taken on so things are still moving forward which is which is great um to, to help the wider community but what's good as well i know it sounded all um what's the word a, a bit sort of dreary in terms of the club closing so mm-hmm. what's actually happening is unfortunately we we're not getting in enough money to yep. cover like the building costs and things like that. You right. know, I mean, a utility bill recently I think was around twenty k. You know, and when you're a charity, you know that's a, a lot. It's I mean, crippling. it's a lot of money to anybody. But even you know, you, you think well, you're an organisation, but well, no, we're a charity. Um, so what's actually happening now is we're selling the building, but sell it to another charity, and it's going to become the Newark Services Club. Wow! And we're essentially just going to loan a room every now and again out of that. So it means we don't have the the cost of the overheads, mm-hmm. which, you know, at first people were moaning about, but I was sort of saying, well, we now don't have those overheads, so this spare money is such that we're going to go ahead. Where can that go? And that could Back be really, into yeah. the RAF family. You know, so now, I mean, last night we were already talking about events we can put on, trips out, you know, it just suddenly I think there was a, almost like a weight lifted from it mm-hmm. because we feel like we can give back more now. We can do what we're supposed to do instead of thinking, should we do that? Because otherwise we might get hit with another bill and... And that's the thing, isn't it, when you get going with all of this, whether it's in our personal businesses or whether it's a charity, you do have those expenses. And also you get more divided with your time. So it's nice that you've been able to refocus on what you're really passionate about and what you're there to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. And so like, obviously you said it's a community and you're there to support RAF families. How do you go about that then? What is it about? So one side of it is the welfare side. So okay. people are struggling, they can know reach out to us for for welfare reasons i mean Mm -hmm. recently i've actually got a holiday with the royal air force association at like a reduced price so there's holiday you know cheap holiday packages or cheaper holiday packages Mm so i mean we're off to hemsby um the the coast that seems to be falling into the sea according to the recent papers it's all corroding isn't it but um hopefully they'll sort it out by the time we get there but um (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
But we managed to go there, I think, a week in a chalet for under £300 for the whole family. Oh, that's amazing. You know, so, How nice. Yeah. So, so they've got stuff like that for their members as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just basically all about trying to find ways to help our members and give back. I mean, we do little, what people might think is just little things like coffee mornings on like a Wednesday and a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And that just gives people somewhere to go, you know, especially yeah. if they're people who are like of an older generation, you know, they might be the only ones left. They've got somewhere to come to and and have that companionship. And, and that socialisation is so important, isn't it? Having that company and that interaction with others is great for our mental health and well-being. Definitely. I mean, especially now the world's kind of opened up again, or at least it has in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's good to see people getting back out. And I mean, I don't know about yourself, but I feel like I had to almost relearn some of the social skills from being locked down <laughs> and working from home and being yep. so isolated for so long. I, mm-hmm. I you know, I, it, was, it was funny because at first I was kind of enjoying it. You know, yep. it was sort of like, you know, a bit of sort of me time, I guess, and just mm-hmm. chilling out, getting on my work. And then by the end of it, I was I was itching, ready to get out. Definitely. And I think I remember going back sort of the first time we came out after sort of lockdown. But it mm. was still sort of the first time you were allowed to not wear masks. I went to a charity ball with my friend Philippa. And it's led to so many amazing events that have come from that. But it was a bit weird. Yeah. It was a bit scary to be in a room with so many other people. But even that having to make conversation... Something that just used to become so naturally, yeah. I felt quite rusty at. So I think, yeah, like you say, it's really important now that we are getting those communities back together to provide that support. Yeah. Because I think there's been so much extra pressure and burden that's been put on people through having that isolation and also the way that the world is at the moment. Yeah. I think knowing that there's other people out there that are there to listen to you and spend time with you really helps. Yeah. I mean, as well, I think because obviously a lot of our stuff is kind of um, subsidised. Mm-hmm. as well so people who are struggling financially you know we've got like a cheap cup of coffee i mean we've got a proper machine as such and nice. we've, we've only just put our prices up to two pounds it was one pound fifty mm-hmm. you know so you, you, you're looking at sort of four or five quid in starbucks and costa and whatnot yeah you, know, you can get the same with us for, for a couple of quid so it's nice to you know it, it kind of feels like you're, you're being able to help in that sense as mm-hmm. well you know it's like say you've got the cheaper holidays the cheaper coffee tea and stuff like that so, that's really lovely yeah, it's just a nice like saying it's always got a nice atmosphere because mm-hmm. you know there's always that RAF connection, that military connection in there. Mm-hmm. So, and, nice. and so obviously, what's your military connection then? So I spent 12 years in the military, okay. and that spanned over two services. So I did some time in the Royal Signals in the Army, mm-hmm. um, got out for a couple of years. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, things didn't quite go as I wanted them to, so I decided to join back up. I joined the RAF this time. And like I say, in total, I did 12 years before, before coming out. And so, obviously, being part of that organisation and that structure, how do you think that shaped your identity? Um, that's a tough one, to be honest, because... So going, I guess, years back, um, and I don't want to do the whole sob story thing, however, um, I did have a bit of an issue when I was, I think, in, in like my early teens, mm-hmm. um, where basically I used to live with... My mum and dad split up. I lived with my dad. Yep. Um, and then he ended up with, you know, a new woman on the scene as such. And, and long story short, there wasn't room for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was basically abandoned, literally. You Gosh. know, I was, um, we, things just weren't getting on well between me and the new stepmom and things. And then, you know, he then chose obviously the stepmom over me. So that meant I then went to live with my mum and I was literally just left at an airport with two bin bags wow. to get on a plane with. Um, and... You know, going to that, sorry, the reason why I've gone into that is because, you know, thinking about identity, I really struggled at first because I think naturally when you're a child, you, you're brought up with the whole, an adult's right, a child's wrong if they say so. Yeah. You know, so for many years, I would sit there going, well, what have I done wrong? Mm-hmm. What did I do wrong? You know, 
And then I would try and flip that because I would get a little bit annoyed with myself as well, you know, because I'd be like, well, I shouldn't need him anymore. I shouldn't, you know, and I still felt, you know, I still loved him. He's my mm-hmm. dad at the end of the day, you know, but I hated the fact that I loved him. Yeah. You know, that's what I found difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be able to just almost become a robot with it and clean cut. And that's what then kind of brought me. I had this identity at first where I was like, I don't need any help from anybody. Right. Okay. Sort of thing. But really, you know, extreme, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> so the, the problem that I had with that, obviously, is that, I mean, it was kind of a good thing because it, it then meant I would look at things and weigh them up in that side in the sense yep. of, will I need this? So, for example, I think that's why I would never be, not just because it's, you know, good and bad, but I could never be a drug addict because I would never want to try it in case I got hooked and I became dependent on it. Yep. I could never be an alcoholic because I don't want to be dependent on alcohol to make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Just like back then, I didn't want people to make me feel better. I wanted me to make okay. me feel better. However, that didn't work. You know, um, I didn't have the tools that I have now. So therefore, I would always, I, it was almost like a very negative version of that. You know, instead yes. of building myself up, if I ever did something wrong, I'd tear myself down straight away. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want people to help me until I suffered to get to the result yeah. kind of thing, you know. Um, and I think to a degree, some part of that, I think, helped me in the military because it helped me, you know, when you leave home, obviously a lot of people get homesick and stuff. I did get a little bit homesick, obviously, you know, still love my mum and, mm-hmm. and things, but it was easier to almost just get caught up in what I needed to do in the military and such and do it that way and start living this life yep. in the military. Um, but obviously the military does teach you, you know, they call it things like the buddy-buddy system. So before you go right. on parade, you check your mate over, your mate checks you over, you know, buddy-buddy, make sure everything's looking okay. Pockets are done up, no fluff on your belly, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So it did then start to almost force me to learn these skills again, wow. to start relying on other people and to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so going on the whole identity thing, so I had to circle, to circle back great. around, yeah. to then sort of come in back out, I felt like I'd already had quite a bit of um, experience of like identity shifts, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So then by the time I got out, um, I, I found I was very adaptable. Like I could sort of shift my identity to how I needed it and wanted to mould it okay. to serve me mm-hmm. from moment to moment kind of thing. Um, so, But I mean, my identity now is, I would say, a lot more open, a lot more sort of giving. It's not yeah. so, because before it was very me, me, me. And I think because I must have had still a victim mindset from what had happened mm-hmm. before, it was, you know, it, it was very much um, a case of, well, why did this happen to me? And, you know, it shouldn't have happened to me and blah, blah, blah. And so they're just saying, well, it's happened. Let's mm-hmm. get on with it now. You know, let's see what we can make of it instead yeah. of dwelling on it, you know. Um, but I, th- I think these these lessons can be good from time to time because when you do go into the line of work that we do, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've got this to kind of pull from. You know, Definitely. I think it helps you to get on the same wavelength quicker with mm-hmm. a client, you know, because you're not, you know, if they turn around and say, oh, you know, you wouldn't understand I was abandoned as a kid kind of thing. You can actually fully understand that and almost yes. become to a degree a role model to that person because mm-hmm. you can turn around and say, well, you know, I didn't let that define me. Yep. You know, look where I am now. I, you know, I, I don't even need to kind of think about that. I bring it up now because obviously it's part of yeah. the story. <laughs> it's part journey, of the history, yeah. but I don't feel like I, you know, I have to sit and dwell on that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm very, I think I'm just more, more future focused now as opposed to past. I, I'd say that's more my identity. What can I, what, what can be created yeah. as opposed to, you know, what's destroyed me in the past mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think it's really important what you've said because it does show that our identity does change and evolve over time. 
but also we can shape it. If there's something yes. we're not happy with or we don't like about ourselves, it's just finding the right tools and techniques to help you to do something different. And I don't think it's about necessarily changing your identity. I think it's more about shedding maybe the layers of maybe what is there is protection, but it's actually the wounds and the hurt and the trauma. Yeah. And as you shed that, you then start to become more your authentic self and you can connect with all that you are and all that you've got the potential to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that because I was, oddly, I was thinking about this the other day in a sense that I don't think identity, I, I think that word gets thrown about too, mm -hmm. too much and people kind of see it as one element. And yep. I think people get it. So I personally think it's different from like a personality. Yep. So I think an identity contains different personalities. You call upon a personality when you need it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, for example, some people would say, well, my identity is I'm a mum. And it's yes. like, well, no, I think that's just a personality for that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's your personality that shifts, but that makes up your whole identity. That's yep. the way I look at it anyway, you know. So. That's a really interesting concept, isn't it, really? Because I think we do play lots of different roles. Yes. And there's lots of different aspects of ourselves that we use in different areas of our lives. But all of that coming together makes up our identity. And I think when we've got a strong sense of identity and we know who we are, then we can feel very confident and self-assured in the world, regardless of what role or what hat that we've got on in that time. Yeah. But it's when I think we don't necessarily know who we are or where we fit or where we belong, that's when there can be disharmony or where we can struggle to function in certain aspects of our lives. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it's like, I mean, it goes back to what you were shedding, as what was saying about shedding mm -hmm. as well. I think, you know, as we shape our own identity to get back to our true authentic selves, we shed some of these personalities. And I think maybe even our personalities become fluid, yes. you know, more fluid, as opposed to I am mum until, you know, the kids go to mm -hmm. bed and then I'm, you know, just chill out or whatever. It's, you know, it becomes fluid. You don't need to have these these barriers as such or these, you know, you don't have to be labelled into a box, yeah. so to speak. It just becomes fluid, like, well, I'll just pull on that as and when I need it. Maybe I need a bit of mum and a bit of chill out right now. Yeah. Know? So that, that, that's how I see mm -hmm. identity. And I think anyway. that makes sense. And I think what I also liked with what you said is that you said about, obviously, your personal experience and how it's allows you to almost empathize and connect with your clients. And I, I know so many people, including myself, so many therapists and coaches, that through having those difficulties and those struggles in their lives, it's allowed them not only to reflect on themselves, but then allow them to want to help other people. Yeah. And I think a lot of us would say, if those things hadn't have happened to us, we wouldn't be where we are today. And we've used those issues to turn it into something good and positive. And I think that's a really important message that we're getting out there as well, that you can have traumas, you can have things that go wrong in your life, you can have rubbish times, yeah. but you don't have to stay stuck in them. You can think, what have I learned from them? How can I grow? What opportunities have been presented to me as a consequence of that? It might even be that you had a terrible, abusive parent. The good that have come out of that might be that it taught you how not to do it yeah. so that with your children you behave in a different way and you're caring and loving and giving. So I think it's starting to shift it round to, okay, well, what gifts has this given me or what opportunities has it presented? Yeah. But that can be really hard to do when you're by yourself. And I think that's where the work that you do comes in because you're a life coach. Yeah, exactly. And I can come in and I can help them change the meaning of that. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously you change the meaning, you change the emotion, you change the emotion, you change your behavior, you know, you're going to get different, you're going to take different action, get different results. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what it's about as well, because I, I had a conversation because, I mean, again, apologies, we're going to go back a little bit 
uh, and revisit kind of things. One of the reasons um, why I left the the army at, at one point was because I really suffered with depression. Um, okay. I think because of what had happened, where it, it came out as well. I, I went and see a counselor. Um, he actually taught me about journaling. Yep. So I was doing journaling. I was doing a diary, and it basically turned out. And again, this is when and I started getting frustrated with it. Um, everything was fine. Everything was fine, and then a thought would appear about my dad, mm-hmm. and then phew, the mood just dropped and it would put me in a state of depression okay like in an instant kind mm-hmm. of thing um but it was good to then see that almost mapped out it was like oh i had a good day here and then go oh i had a bad day here what day here what happened there oh i thought about my dad kind of thing and therefore you know it spiraled so it got to the point though where i just thought i can't be a soldier and i mean you know and, and i think it doesn't help that back then it was diff- more difficult to talk about mm-hmm. and you know in the military it's very much you know you talk to man up all the time any anything that's wrong with you is seen as a weakness you know and therefore you're not as you know operationally effective and and yep. stuff like that so therefore i think a lot of uh, people as well hide mm-hmm. uh, and put on the mask you know it's probably been spoken about a lot of times before you know they put on this fake persona just to kind of get through the day you know and that's what i was doing but it got to the point where the mask was becoming so heavy. you know it became so heavy to keep it on and then that's when it you know it, it became time for me to leave um, so I left for a couple of years. Like I said, life didn't really go as I was hoping it for. The grass wasn't greener, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and I thought I'd join up again. But what then happened this time, I, I felt like I was over it. I had started to learn a bit about the mind, you know, and yeah. I, I think that's what had sparked the journey again. It's that mm-hmm. changing that meaning a little bit, isn't it? What it we were is, just yeah. talking about. I could turn around and say, well, I've suffered depression. That's, you know, horrible. And I could never be a military person ever again. Or I could turn around and say, okay, why is that happening? And I could learn a bit more from it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ask myself different questions, get different questions, get different answers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but then I joined the RAF. Um, and to be honest, I was, it, was, it was good life. You know, I enjoyed the RAF. I really did. I felt like they, it was just a different lifestyle from mm-hmm. the army. You know, the army's good at what they do. The RAF's good at what they do. There's always banter in between. But, you know, it, I suppose it depends what you enjoy the most. And I, I, I would say I would consider myself more RAF than army. Okay. Um, but then I got promoted. Uh, so by this point, sorry, I was married and I had kids. And then I got promoted and I was sent two and a half hours away where my family couldn't join me. Gosh. So all of a sudden I felt it coming back again. And mm-hmm. I felt, I, and to be honest, I think I put myself into it quickly and deeper because I was just like, what are you doing? You should know how to overcome this. You've had this before. What, you know? yep. And it was that negative self-talk instead of being like, look, we've done through this before. We can handle this again. It'll be fine. Instead, it was almost negative, like, you know, what are you doing? You know, you should be better than this. Stop it, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Um, and then I would sink into it that way. But I found that that was more like a circumstantial depression, you yeah. know. And, and what was good about that was that then helped me realize that there is not one depression. You know, mm-hmm. it's one word that essentially covers a whole different, Absolutely. you know, so many different areas you know, of, of what that could mean. So... I kind of put it as the first one was almost the fact that I didn't understand what was happening, mm-hmm. and that's what spiraled it, you know, out of control, so to speak. And then the second time was more the circumstances. You know, it was like a circumstantial depression. So on leaving the second time, I mean, it, I'd done 12 years. It felt like the right time to go by this mm-hmm. point and, and try something else. So, And thankfully, it's worked out this time. Good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really important what you've just highlighted about sort of the labels of different mental health conditions or health conditions in general. So everybody's unique and different. And quite often people will get labelled with having anxiety or Mm. depression or stress or something wrong with their body. However, everyone is unique and different. 
And I think that's where we maybe deviate from some of the sort of more public sector therapies mm. is that we have to view people from that very unique perspective. They've come to us and maybe other things haven't worked in the past because there is a standard process that has to be followed because you've got depression, therefore we do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And that works brilliantly for some people, but it doesn't fit everybody because, like you say, there can be so many different variations in circumstances, but also, like you said, the stories we tell ourselves. So we attribute meaning to things that happen to us, and it depends on the meaning we've attributed to different situations, but also that self-talk, what we're telling ourselves about what's happened and the circumstances yeah. can have a massive impact on how we perceive it and also how we get out of it. And I think that's what you do very well with your coaching is you're working on that one-to-one -one basis with the client to really uncover what are those underlying belief systems and yeah. what are those stories all about that are completely unique to that person that have created the issue, but then how can they be changed so that you can bring them out the other side? Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, what I try and do as well is I, I try and hand them the tools. Mm -hmm. like I, I don't want to be one of those people where almost like I call it revolving door therapy, you know, see you next week. Yep. See you next week. Like I actually want to get them in and out as, as quick as possible, you know, and, and what I try and do is pass on the tools. It's like, okay, how can you influence yourself in this thing? You know, do a bit of future pacing if we have to every now and again, yeah. but it's, it's all about how can you help you? You know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I'm, it's like, you're a big cruise ship. I'm a tugboat, you know, <laughs> you're stuck in the sand. So I come along, I pour you out the sand. As soon as you get sailing again, cut the line and off you go. And you're mm -hmm. good to go, you know, and then I go and help the next one, that sort of, you know, and, and that's how I try to be. I just want to be the tugboat. I want to get you going again. And then when you're happy, you know, and you're ready to be released again, we do that and, and off you go. And I think I'm very similar in the way that I work. And I think that's why we sort of quite enjoy having our sort of sessions, catching up our business meetings together, because I'm the same. I like to be a facilitator. I've got lots of tools and techniques that can help. But I don't want people coming back to see me week in, week out, forevermore. Yeah. As much as I love my clients, I really enjoy spending time with them and I find them so wonderful and amazing. I want them to be going out there and enjoying their lives. I exactly. want them to be living their lives and not needing me anymore. So for me, it's about giving them those tools that they can then help themselves with so that they can go and transform their lives. But not only just with the issue that they've come with, but I've given them those skills that they can apply to any situation in their lives. And it's really nice sort of sometime later, like maybe five years later, you've popped into the supermarket and you bump into someone. They're like, oh, do you remember me? I yeah. came to see you five years ago with this issue. And now this is how my life's turned out. That's so rewarding. And yes. I think it's such a special and honoured position to be in that we're able to do that to help others. Yeah, no, definitely. definitely I, I think it's great if we, can, if we can, like I say, pass on those tools, like you said, be the facilitator for change. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's... That's what it's down to. Yeah. You know, that really is. And that's why as well, I'll try and do, um, so like recently, as we, we spoke just before this, I've just done uh, an event. It was just mm -hmm. a, you know, I think two and a half, three hour event um, called Mindset Mastery. And that was about sort of helping people sort of build the identity that they want and helping them learn the influences of state, you know, state of mind. Yeah. Um, and I just find that because there are, like I say, yes, I think people are unique and individual. We need to obviously accept that. Mm -hmm. But I do think there is a lot of, underlying principles where Definitely. if taught they can kind of bring that on in their own way yes. you know and they can put their mm -hmm. own meaning to it and they can use it you know those tools how they need to and how they see fit there does need to be some sort of structure and container there does need to be some sort of guidelines how to do it just with any form of training or teaching 
you need to go step by step. It needs to often be modelled and scaffolded so that then the person can then take it in whatever direction they need. So I think it's really valuable that you're providing that support for everyone. Yeah. I mean, I always try and make it as different as I can as well. I mean, this Mm -hmm. one had music and people were up and doing exercises and all sorts. So, yeah, I always try and make it a bit different. So that, because I think as well, if you can almost heighten the experience for them, they're Mm -hmm. more likely to then take it on board and well, and definitely, we the, know that, don't we? Because yeah. we know that if there's a heightened emotional feeling and sensation, you're more likely to connect the information. Yeah. And this is how things like phobias and fears are created. Yeah. There's, you see some sort of stimulus, whether it's a wasp or a spider or a plane or whatever, but it's coupled with that heightened emotional response. They get locked in together. Yeah. So then in future, you see that wasp or that spider and it instantly triggers that emotional state. Yeah, so exactly. I think that's really important what you've said, getting yourself into that heightened state can be really beneficial for learning exactly and i think sorry but i was saying i think the problem is we're also so used to getting ourselves in a heightened emotional state negatively yes so what these events that i do is i get them into these heightened emotional states positively Mm -hmm. and have them there ready so that they know that they can do it because you know it, it it's like i say i you know when i when i do the events i actually do the example of you know behind the wall over there there's a guy who's you know really depressed how do you think he looks and they'll explain you know oh his shoulders are slumped and his head's down and this Mm -hmm. and that and i'll say so you know the habits and the patterns of how to get yourself into these negative emotions emotional states but you don't seem to know the habits and patterns to get you back out of them to get you these heightened ones so that's what i do at the events as well as i I teach them how to go into those those heightened states that they need which is so amazing because that's state management essential isn't it for well-being and i think like you say it's focusing on your breath it's focusing on the physiology how you're holding your body as well as the thought processes and all of that can be very transformative and what I absolutely love because we've recently been at the well-being show yeah and I was following you both days on your talks oh yeah and it made me feel really excited listening because I just caught the last few minutes and there was so much high energy and I could feel it building from outside the door and by the end you were getting everybody like cheering like yay <laughs> and yeah. you're at the door ready with your high fives and most people did that and a few people you could see wanted to do it but then was a little bit like oh I'm a bit shy to do this yeah but everybody came out with these big beaming smiles on their face and you could see that it made a lasting impact and I think that's really powerful yeah no thank you for for bringing that up yeah I do I I enjoy doing that I mean I'm a little bit naughty in the sense that I actually take them down first um it's a bit naughty yeah (laughs) well what I do is well it's it's more it's both motivational and to get them into like a peak positive Mm -hmm. state and I, I don't know if you've done it with your clients, you probably have, where you do the whole like envisioning they're on the deathbed, that one. So I, I get them to envision that, you know, and I say, you know, all, all you're thinking about is that you just want a second chance. I just want a second chance. But, you know, obviously they, mm-hmm. they slip away. So I, I drag it out for like about a minute and a half. So, you know, they, yep. they get the full impact. Um, but then at the end, I say, right, now open your eyes. You've just been given your second chance. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with it sort of thing? And then I go into, you know, a little bit of a positive speech to get them up. Yeah. And then I say, who's ready to make a change? And that's normally the bit that you sort of catch at the end. And they're like, yes, let's go and make a change. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like I say, they just leave on such a high. Yeah. Um, and I think what I do as well is it's almost showing them that you can go from this really low state. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, bless her, I had one lady in there, you know, tears streaming Aww. down her face when she was thinking about the deathbed scenario. Mm-hmm. But then showing her how quickly you can go to the opposite side. And it's just almost, I guess, showing them that as long as you've got the discipline, as long as, you know, you you take it on board that it can be done, you have that belief, you'll Mm -hmm. get there, you'll go do it. And that's what I'm trying to show people. It's like, yes, 
You can go into these, you know, horrible states, but that's your decision. Yes. You have the decision also to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's so empowering, isn't it? Because I think sometimes we end up feeling a victim of it to our circumstances or what someone else has done to us or a victim of the emotions we're feeling. But we don't need to do that because we can choose something differently for ourselves. Yeah. So I think what you're doing is actually quite kind there in the sense that you are modelling and showing them how to move from one state to yeah. another. And that's not something we're really taught. But all the time you're helping to boost their confidence as they're doing that. But I know when I'm working with my clients as well, a lot of the time I have to have those neural pathways lit up that are connected to whatever the issue is so that we can shift it and so we can deal with it. So if I've got somebody, let's go back to phobia, for example, if they're in my therapy room but they can't access the emotional state that it makes them feel, they can't even connect in with it, it's not a problem at that time, that's much harder for me to shift it and deal with it then if all of a sudden the light bulb switched on, we can then turn it off. Yeah. So I think there is power in that as well. Sometimes as therapists, we need the clients to be able to access the emotions that are going on so that we can then do something to change it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned that as well about not being able to get into the state because I think mm-hmm. what's, what you're kind of, uh, what I believe is kind of happening there as well as what's happening with sort of like my events, that the big key factor there is almost the environment. Yes. You know, so obviously when I do the events or we do the well-being talks and things, they've got that safe environment to just let go if they want to. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a bit difficult sometimes, especially if you haven't had a chance to build up rapport with a therapist or something yes. yet. For them to turn around and say, well, unlock your phobia. You're just going to be sat there like, uh, I'm all right, thanks. You know, yeah. so I think it's, again, it's just where it's important with what you do, understanding how to get them to where they need to be through the environment that you can set up for them. Exactly. You know? like, so you can have a successful environment or... And there's so much involved in that, isn't there? So it's about the physical space that you're in, but it's also about that container of making it feel a safe and supportive environment by those interactions that you're having. And I think that's essential, not just in terms of therapeutic work, but in all areas of life. If we're going to get the best out of other people and ourselves, we need to think about what sort of environment we're creating. So whether it's like the room that we're sat in, whether it's the bodies that we're in, are we creating a healthy, positive environment yeah. by giving ourselves the right exercise and nutrients? Is it the right environment that we're creating in our thoughts? Are we creating nurturing, loving, supportive thoughts? Yeah. It's essential Definitely. in terms of well-being. I mean, you can literally break that down into all the, um, the, the, the senses. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like, right, well, what am I looking at? What environment am I visually looking at? Is that helpful? Yeah. You know, what am I listening to? Because, I mean... You, you've probably seen it as well when you look at you know i mean th- thank god for it in, in one sense but things like children in need you know yeah. yes it's great in what they're doing but i mean how do you feel when some of those adverts come on yeah you know and you're watching it's awful isn't it mm-hmm. you know um and and that can really drag you down and things like that so it's kind of like if you do feel yourself going into these negative states think about your environment and break down the senses what am i looking at what am i listening to you know is there a weird smell in, yes. in the area you know is it too hot is it too cold you know mm-hmm. kinesthetic and stuff like that so, and as well as, like you're saying, is, is your mind a good environment for you as well? Yeah. And I think often we can be our own worst enemies with the environment Definitely. we create in our minds because we can end up saying horrible, mean things to ourselves that we would never dream of saying to anyone else. And yet we give ourselves permission to do it to ourselves sometimes. Yes. And I think that'll be familiar to a lot of people listening. They'll, we'll have all had moments where we've done that. Agreed. But it's catching yourself doing that and recognising, is it helpful? And yeah, if not, exactly. what what would you like to hear instead? And sometimes I might do, say, inner child work with a client. And it might be that we need to go back and speak to a part of themselves or a younger version of themselves to give them that nurture and that encouragement they need 
to then get them to think and feel in a different way about themselves because often these habits and these mindsets get set up at an earlier age. Yeah. It starts off as some sort of external influence, but then we end up taking it on board and it becomes our own. And then it yeah. becomes part of the identity and it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think as well, when it comes to like when you're having those thoughts as well, it's just so important, like you say, to acknowledge it, mm -hmm. but also to acknowledge that it is just a thought. Yes. The, you know, obviously the problem is it's, it's the thoughts first and then the emotions. So obviously the thoughts coming in. Your consciousness is what brings it because the thought's neutral. Any mm -hmm. thought that comes in is neutral. It's your consciousness and the meaning that you give it to is obviously what brings it to life. You therefore feel on that. So if you can almost cut it off at that point and sort of say, yeah, I've had a negative thought here. Mm -hmm. It's just the thought. You, it, I Personally, I find it then easier to shift on. To like make a move. You know, it's like I always give the analogy. It's like a blue sky that mm -hmm. you're looking at, but there's one gray cloud. Yeah. If you focus on that one gray cloud, for the whole day whilst it moves across the sky, that's all you're going to see is the grey cloud and you're going to feel bad about it because you know, yeah. of the feelings associated to it. But if you realise and acknowledge the grey clouds there, but you've got so much blue sky to look at, you're going to enjoy the blue sky then. And you're going to have the positive state from that instead. Definitely. And I think that cloud analogy is brilliant as well because it reminds us that everything passes. But, Everything's yeah. transitory. Even if we're feeling low and negative and stuck, it doesn't mean we're always going to feel that way. That's just going to last for a particular period of time. But if we can learn those skills and strategies to help ourselves and know how to shift that, then we've got choice and flexibility. Yeah. We might want to sit and wallow for half an hour. We might want to say, I'm going to have a cry or a yeah. sulk or a strop. But we can also say, do you know what? I've had enough of doing that now. I don't need to be stuck in it. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've had to learn myself. I know I used to wallow quite a bit. I'd get very low. Yeah. It tended to be related to self-esteem. Something would happen. I'd have an argument with somebody. I'd then start to say all these negative things to myself. And then I'd get stuck in this negative mindset. And then all this negative talk would play over and over and over again in my mind. And then I'd replay it and add something else. Replay it and add something else. I don't allow myself to do that anymore. I recognise it. I stop myself. Yeah. And I redirect my attention to something else. And it's transformed my life. Exactly. And this is the thing. It, it, it's almost such a simple concept, but not a lot of people realise that they have that power. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we come in, is we, we teach that to people. Yeah. You know, that actually, you know what? You're in control here. You know, mm -hmm. you, it's not. It's all about internal, not external. Essentially, you know, yeah. there could be, you know, all hell breaking loose around you, something really horrible going on around you. But it depends on, you know, it's your choice and how you're going to feel to that. Mm -hmm. You know, and if if you have the like, say, the discipline to make the decision and say, well, actually, no, I'm not going to get dragged into down into that, then you won't. Yeah, and then that allows you to find solutions. It allows yeah. you to find other options, and it allows you to recognise that you've got choice. And I think that's really empowering because sometimes situations happen to us. And although we can't control the situation, if we can choose our response, that gives us freedom to find the best outcome for ourselves and the people we care about. That's it. As opposed to reacting. Mm -hmm. you know, if you take a, a, a meaningful and mindful bit of action instead, that's, yeah. that's a lot better. I think there's a saying, isn't there, between stimulus and reaction. Yeah. That's where the power is, is that bit in the middle, isn't it? Definitely. And it's so true. It really is. Because, I mean, how many times do we just react to things yes. instead of properly <laughs> thinking through it? You know, and, and again, it's sort of like, well, how does that separate us from, you know, my cat or something that mm -hmm. just purely reacts? It feels like that's all it lives by. It's yes. just reactions, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's what makes us human. You know, if we can take that power back, that's what makes us more human yeah. as opposed to reacting to everything. That's a bit more kind of animalistic. And it's mm -hmm. almost, uh, you know, it's... it's it's almost like a get out clause that you hear a lot of people say as well. You know, the whole like, oh, I just saw red. And yeah. it's like, yes, but you chose to carry on 
going when you saw red you yes. know you could have stopped at any minute mm-hmm. sort of thing but people want to use it as an excuse they don't they don't want to have the, the the discipline to do that you know they, they won't allow themselves to be disciplined enough to sort of say yeah. no i'm going to stop this now mm-hmm. and you know instead they, they, they want the excuse you know yeah. to be able to just do what they want essentially mm-hmm. so in your viewpoint then this moment in time where you are how do you cultivate that discipline within yourself um again it's more the acknowledgement Mm-hmm. part first as long as i acknowledge things first yep and i kind of catch myself and i, I think it, it helps as well because i've been through all these different ups and downs peaks and troughs with my emotions mm-hmm. i've been able to kind of identify the different ones a bit better like i've got it's almost like going back to the language thing you know instead of using extreme language like mm-hmm. you know i'm um, depressed maybe i'm not depressed in that moment but i'm using that language so therefore i'm going to send myself into that state Whereas yep. if I say oh, I'm just feeling um, a little bit annoyed, you know, mm-hmm. or a little bit sad, that's a lot different from depressed. But if you keep using the same language, your body's going to go, "Oh, okay, we're depressed. Fine, let's go." So for me, it was broadening my emotional representation, like the yep. linking the words to to the emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just going from ex- one extreme to the other, happy or depressed. You know, there was all these in betweens, and yep. it was identifying those. That's what helped me. To begin with, to start to get the depression, uh, depression, start to get the discipline. Yep. Um, because I was able to identify them mm-hmm. sooner what was happening, and then I could catch it. Yeah. So it's really important to acknowledge something, isn't it? Perhaps when it isn't quite working for you, yeah. and that's when you can then think, well, what do I want to change? What do I need to change? And I think once you've got that, you're halfway there because then it's just finding the tools that are right for you, and it's breaking it down into those smaller steps, isn't it? And quite often, you and I might use something say like timelining where we might look at an end goal, but then we'll go back through that timeline and break it down into those smaller steps, working at what the person did in manageable chunks to get to that point. And I think that's also really useful for cultivating that discipline as well, because it no longer seems this mammoth task that's so far in the future or so out of reach that you almost want to give up. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's it's sort of like going back to what you were saying as well with the... um you know, stopping actually saying, well, what do I want to do? Instead of what don't I want to do? You know, mm-hmm. you probably use this analogy yourself. It's like, you know, if you turn around and say, don't think about an elephant. You know, yeah. the first thing that comes to your head. So instead of sort of sitting there going, don't get depressed, don't get depressed, don't get depressed, or, you know, don't do this, don't do that. I think it, like you say, I think that was more spot on mm-hmm. thinking about what it is you need to shift into. How is that going to help you and, and going for the positive as opposed to trying to Negative the negative. (laughs) And I think that's so important for you to point out because they say probably 90% of my clients that come to work with me have identified and acknowledged as an issue. They know there's something wrong and they know what they don't want anymore. They know that they no longer want to smoke. They no longer want to feel anxious or they no longer want to feel the trauma or the pain or suffering, whatever it is. But very often the question that stumps them in the consultation is I say, well, what do you want instead? Yeah. And they haven't thought about that it's never really been an option or a possibility for them to be anything different and that's quite illuminating because then we have to build a picture of what that's going to look like sound like feel like and we need to build that up so as well as taking away any of the trauma or issues as well as putting in those new patterns we need to create a new future that they're working towards and that's really huge because I think as humans we do tend to naturally go to the negatives, the things we don't want, the things we want to avoid. Whereas we maybe need to spend more time thinking, well, what is it we want instead? Yeah. Because that's really powerful. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, it's, I tend to bring this up as well with the depression thing, um, because a lot of people say, well, you know, when I'm depressed, I don't want to be depressed. And it's like, well, that's great. But, you know, as you know, sort of putting our NLP hats on, mm -hmm. if we're generalizing, deleting and distorting things, obviously, we're going to generalize everything in a depressive state, yep. delete the non-depressive stuff, distort, you know, the non into the depressive things. But what I also heard as well was that who we are from moment to moment is based off of our past and our ability to predict the future. Mm -hmm. So if you're generalized and deleting and distorting everything, and then you look to your past, what memories are you going to bring up? Yep. All those depressive, negative memories. Mm -hmm. Okay, scrap the past because that's no good. Let's look to the future that we're going to build. Yeah. But you're generalizing and deleting and distorting everything in a depressive state, and you're looking to the future in this depressive state, you're not going to see a way out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's obviously then that's what leads to people, unfortunately, doing you know the things that they do. Yeah. Um, but no, I just that just made me think of that because you were on about well, when you think about the future, you know, what can we build yeah. instead? And it's it's so difficult for them because they've almost conditioned themselves mm -hmm. to stay into this um, this bubble of emotion that yep. you know to get to the future to what they really want, they don't even know anymore because they're so conditioned. Yeah, you know, and I think that's it's important what you said there, mm. definitely. And I think it's really important what you've highlighted there about the generalizations, deletions, and distortions, because when we're accessing not only the stimulus around us now that's happening, we have to filter out information. Yeah. Every time we access a memory, it is a representation. Yes. It's not the same. It's not the actual event happening. It's how we've chosen to store that within our mind. So each time we tend to go back to it, it's going to get modified and altered slightly. So if we've got a memory saying each time we reflect on that memory, it's when we're feeling rubbish we're more likely to be focusing on the negative aspects of that experience, building them up within our mind and perhaps minimising some of the other things that happened which made it more manageable. So we can sometimes be our own worst enemies as we reflect on those past situations because we keep modifying our yeah. memories and our feelings about experiences. But the positive is that that can work the other way. So if we choose, we can reaccess memories and change elements of them to benefit ourselves. and that's quite a bit of the work that I do, often under hypnosis, yeah. but also with the NLP, the eye movement therapy, the tapping, it's about, okay, how can we represent that in a more healthy and balanced way? So we reframe it, we look at it in a different context, a change different way, change the meaning, and then it no longer has that emotional hold. And I think that's something, if anybody's listening, that's something you can do yourself. Reflect on a memory, think about how can I see it from a different perspective? Uh, what would happen if I changed the colour or the sound or the location of this memory? What There's lots of different ways you can change it. Yeah. And you don't need to keep it as it was. No, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm working on a model at the minute called the, the focus of projection model. Okay. And with the idea, well, it basically came to me, I, I woke up one morning and, you know, as you do, a <laughs> random thing popped in my head and I thought, well, what if part of the issue when we're thinking about our memories is the fact that we're almost trying to project our present self into a past scenario yes so therefore we're we've as you were saying about the representations we're feeling um things and things you know what's happened how we're feeling in the present moment as opposed to what we were how we were living the moment back then mm -hmm. um and, and that's basically what this model was kind of what i'm trying to build out now about if you're projecting into the past or the future but what are you it's called the focus and projection model because it's all about what is it that you're focusing on whilst you're projecting at that time you know because projection yeah. is is inwards and outwards it's mm -hmm. internal and external so yep. are you currently whilst you're focusing on something is are you giving yourself an internal representation or are you trying to project yourself externally to communicate to other people yes um 
So yeah, it's something I'm, I'm building out at the minute. So I'm not so sure why I went on to that topic then. But that's okay. But that's really exciting, and I think it's really important, like you say, to note that sometimes it's what are we feeding ourselves internally, and also what is it that we are trying to project onto the external world. Yeah. And do those are they congruent those things? Because if we feel very differently inside to what we're giving out to the external world, that often then leaves us feeling like there's a mismatch or an imbalance yeah. in our lives. So I think it's getting that balance between being our authentic selves and being able to express that. Because when you can do that, you've got then choice and flexibility um, in any sort of context. And it tends to mean that you gravitate to the right sort of people that are going to sit well with you and help you to grow and flourish. It tends to mean that you find the right career that's going to help you yeah. succeed. Everything transforms when the internal can match the external. Yeah, and I think as well it goes back to the environment a little bit as well because. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, let's let's just take it. Let's say you are super, super happy and you can't help but smile. <laughs> you walk down the street with a massive grin on your face. Society's going to be a bit like, oh, what's up with this guy? You know, what's yeah. up with this with, with this girl? And it's kind of like, you know, society almost doesn't let us be overly happy, if you know what I mean. Yes. If you're overly happy, you must be crazy or and something wrong with you. And I get that sometimes you, you know? because some people do think I'm a bit crazy because <laughs> I am, the majority of the time, exceptionally happy. And I go around with a big beaming grin on my face and I talk to everybody and I've made the most amazing friendships out and about just having a conversation. But other people are like, oh, why is this lady talking to me? She's a bit strange. Yeah. Likewise, I give gifts to loads of people and they're random gifts. It might be like an apple or a stick <laughs> or a pebble. But I see it and see beauty in it and think I want to share it with this person because in this moment they're special or important to me. Yeah. Some people really value and appreciate that. Other people are like, you're really, really strange. Why have you handed me a stick? Or yeah. why have you handed me this rock that you think's pretty? I think and it's like, if you start amalgamating them, they'll get a bit worried. If you start trying to <laughs> shove a stone into an apple and then hand them that, they'd be a bit like, why have you just ruined a perfectly good apple? <laughs> yes, that's true. But like you say, it's we have to sort of consciously be aware of not only the way we perceive ourselves, but how other people perceive us. But it's a shame because a lot of the time we end up having to minimise or moderate ourselves yeah particularly those good emotions, because as a society, we're not used to it. And we tend to be quite good at not only putting ourselves down, but also other people down. Well, again, like that, you see the happy person. It's almost like, well, what's his problem? Yes. You know, it's not a good thing. It's like, (laughs) oh, good. Here comes, you know, a happy guy. It's like, what's his problem? It's like the first thing that pops into people's heads, you know. So, Do you know what? We need to change that, Gaz. Let's start a revolution. (laughs) Let's create lots of happy, positive people until it becomes normal. And then that would be really nice. Yeah, let's just start walking down the street with big smiles on our face. <laughs> it's definitely a way to go. Because so. once again, that goes back to then that physiology, doesn't it? If you oh, yeah, are changing definitely. the way you're holding your body, if you've relaxed your shoulders, if you're looking up, if you've got a smile on your face, if you're looking more up towards the sky rather than down in towards your feelings, you're going to feel better and you're going to feel differently. Yeah. And that not only helps you to feel better, but I know we've sort of been a bit lighthearted about this. The other side is, though, that it can have a really positive impact on the people around you. Yeah. And I think if you're feeling better within yourself, that then helps the people that you love and care about and the people you interact with. You get better responses from them. Yeah, I think because you're not focusing inwards. You know, instead it gets to the point of focusing how you can almost make someone else's day better instead of trying to focus on, well, me, 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 how do I make my day better? Mm -hmm. You know, once you're sorted, you know, if you are in that positive state, you can almost transfer that outwards and, yeah. and have the, the positive impact outwards. And I think that's really valuable because then it makes us agents of service of how we can contribute to the world and how we can make it a better place. Yeah. And it's nice to see the ripple effect that that has. I think that's such a special gift that we can give. 
And I think that's what we do as therapists in our own way. We're just making those little differences. If we can help one person, that not only has a positive impact on their lives, that then has a positive impact on their immediate family, their yeah, co-workers, exactly. everybody else. Exactly. And I'm really proud of us for what we do, actually. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. so, definitely. I love it, especially when you think you've got someone who almost feels defeated. Yeah. And you can show them that change can happen in a moment. You know, I had someone who was really suffering. He hadn't quite been diagnosed with um, PTSD, mm-hmm. but I've got a sheet that I'm like, I'm, I'm not a doctor or anything, so I, I can't diagnose yeah. or anything like that. But I said, however, if you fill the sheet out, this might give you an inkling of whether you are actually suffering with PTSD or not. And he'd been suffering it for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he came to me and we went through a session and he felt great afterwards. Yeah. But he was still adamant to book something in the following week. Yes. Um, because he just, you know, he, he thought, yes, I feel good now, but come next week, I'll be back here, we're going to be doing the same mm-hmm. thing. And then I got a message on WhatsApp sort of saying, fine, cancel it, I feel great. Yeah. You know? So it was good to be able to kind of, you know, to have that transformation in such a quick time when mm-hmm. people have got so almost used to themselves. Again, it probably goes back to that, you know, generalizing, deleting, distorting things. They've conditioned themselves into such a state that, you know, when you turn around and say, well, no, you can change in a session, mm-hmm. they, they, don't, they don't believe you. you know? Yeah. And I think that's right. Like you say, because I think people expect, oh, it took me years to get to this place, therefore it's going to take me years to get out of it. Yeah. And for some people it will. Some people will need that gentle route, whereas other people it can transform very quickly. And I think I want people to know that, that transformation can happen in an instant. Yes. Because the brain and the mind is amazing. And that neuroplasticity, we learn and we grow and evolve all the time. And all you need is the right tools and techniques for you to enable yourself to do it. That's it. I am really jealous of your clicks, by the way. You've clicked. I know this is completely going off on a topic, but you keep clicking your fingers and it's very impressive. I try and click my fingers and it's really poor. Practice. Yeah. I'm going to end up hurting my fingers if I do that, though. So we're nearly at the end of our talk. I'm going to bring it back to being focused. Go for it. I've done quite well. (laughs) If you could give a final message today for our listeners, Mm. what would you like them to take away from this conversation? Um... I think it's probably going down the route of, you know, you are, you are it's your life, it's your mind, you are the boss. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you, if you think of your mind as, as a cinema, yep. you know, if you don't like what's playing on the screen, you own that cinema. Change mm-hmm. what's on the screen. And again, it then changes the meaning, it changes how you feel to it. So take control, you can do it. Most definitely. Thank you ever so much for coming yeah, on. Thanks for having me. So you are Gaz Creswell? I am indeed, the Life Improvement Coach. And you can be found on Instagram, Facebook, various yeah. different places. Social and media. You've also got a great online platform, haven't you? Where yeah, you I've give got my own resources. academy, which is um, free for people to join. There's free resources on there as well. And like I say, keep an eye out because I'll be um, putting some more events soon as well. So. How exciting. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you ever so much for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. And whatever you're doing out there, I hope you continue to have a really wonderful day. I shall speak to you soon. Take care and bye-bye for now. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you are interested in what we do, please go to my website, www.tranquil-awakenings.co.uk. As well as information on the therapies I offer, there is also links to my Past Life Regression Therapist Programme and my Professional Hypnotherapy Training Programmes. If you are looking for online training for self-development, please go to debbieison.thinkific.com. 
And also remember to follow me on social media. Simply on Facebook, type in Tranquil Awakenings to find my business page. And I'm also on Instagram. I love hearing from you. Please do send any comments or questions. And if you have any ideas of what you would like me to talk about on future episodes, please do send me a message.